Welcome to another edition of Senior Smarts here on Bluff Country 1250 KCUE and KCUE 99 FM. Jack Caldwell with you. Debbie Bradley and our guest standing by. Senior Smarts is brought to you by St. Crispin Living Community now with our full continuum of care at our Pioneer Road campus where we're still providing our renowned short-term rehab services. So Debbie, take it away. Can't wait to get started on today's show. Thanks. Yeah, you bet. Um, we have Bob Schmaltz back with us again today. And so um, our previous show in this series was the basics of Medicare with Bob Schmaltz. And um, he talked about just the very beginning understanding of Medicare and what we need to know. And so if you missed last show, I wanted to let you know that Bob Schmaltz, who is this guy, he is the president of FMS Insurance, and they're located in the historic St. James Hotel in Red Wing. And FMS Insurance, they specialize in healthcare, Medicare, and retirement services. And he has 27 years of experience in the insurance industry. And he served in the advisory committee. I mispronounced this last show. I said Medicare. It's not. So official people, strike that and know that I'm correcting it here. It wasn't Medicare. It's Medica. So Bob has served on the advisory committees of Medica and Blue Cross Blue Shield Healthcare Companies in Minnesota, and he lives in Red Wing with his wife and two beautiful daughters, who I ran into at the um, movie theater a couple weeks ago. <laughs> well, there there. You so go. that was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So um, we're going to dive back into, before we get into our next chunk of knowledge, we still had some information to um, talk about with the basics of Medicare. So we talked about a bunch of stuff. And if you didn't get that, go to the podcast, listen to the show. It's available for a year and a half. But on to today's information. So, Bob, first of all, welcome again. Thank you, Debbie. It's thank, great to be here. Thank you for being back again. So if somebody wants to enroll in Part B, so how do they start to do this? So enrolling in Part B, there's a couple of ways to go about doing this. Uh, number one is you can go online to ssa.gov. Second is you can contact your lo- local Social Security office, um, or you can, or we would be um, able to help if chosen. Um, again, if you leave your employer uh, group plan, you'll want to make sure you have the Part B, 40B form completed. Now, this is after you're 65 years of age because you want to show proof of that Part D that we talked about mm-hmm. and the employer LS42 form as well. Again, this will all be gone through if you go online or go through the Social Security office or, or through us. Um, we're making determination of um, enrolling. We talked about that last time in reference to um, it's pretty straightforward if you're already drawing Social Security. You know, that's going to be automatic, to, and um, you'll get your Medicare card, you know, three months prior to the month of your 65th birthday. But it's if you're going to waive the, your part, um, you're going to waive your Social Security as one discussion that we had. And secondly is if you're going to stay on, determining if you should stay on your spouse's employer plan and weighing out those benefits and, and premiums as well. Um, we left off, uh, just the other thing I want to mention is that there are different enrollment periods throughout the year with Medicare, and I want to give you a couple acronyms. The first one is AEP, stands for Annual Election Period, and that's every fall, October 15th through December 7th. That's when you can uh, make changes to your health plan or your drug plan. When you make your change during October 15th through December 7th, the new plan is not effective till January 1st of the following year. Okay, so a good way to remember this is property taxes, at least in the Goodhue area. One chunk is due in the fall, and one chunk is due in the spring. So the fall, I think, is around October 15th. Yep. So 
that's a good time to remember if you want to give yourself a mental picture if you are paying property taxes in the fall as you are in your 60s you want to put that on your radar when you get close to 65 or so you want to make sure that those things are taken care of in the fall to prepare for retirement and what parts of this Medicare ABCD that you need to attend to. That's correct, Debbie. The other thing is um, some people do move out of the county or move out of the state, and that qualifies for a SEP, which stands for Special Enrollment Period. There again, if it's other than October 15th to December 7th, so let's say you decide to now winter in Florida and make that your resident. Good point. And... um, which after this last year, it's not a bad idea. So that would um, so if you do move out of the county or the state, that that qualifies for a SEP, a special enrollment period, which allows you then a sixty day period to make a change to your health Medicare health plan and your Part D plan in that area that you're moving to. We left off the last show with um, I made a statement about um, why having a health care directive is important. The reason for a health care directive and why it's so important, it allows others to make medical decisions and provides end-of-life medical instructions, often includes a HIPAA release. So this would be for input from your doctors, nurses, social workers, and clergy. Appointment of representatives is critical to your your health success, execution of multiple original documents, where to keep these documents, and valid in other states. So, again, having a uh, health directive not only works in Minnesota, but I, in Florida. Right. If I can comment for one second about this. <clears throat> there is so much importance to an advanced health care directive, and I think we should I should have a show all about that with Bob and probably even bring in somebody um, in the medical field too. And depending, it even says here, you know, it said on and your and clergy also. There are differences with clergy and your particular religion according to what different faith groups adhere to as far as their um, their directives for their people. So I know for Catholics, it's it's a certain way, and it's it can be very different from other faith groups. So really want you to be attentive to that. When I think of healthcare directives, um, just for something as simple as, you know, how Alzheimer's is getting to be more and more prevalent, when you have somebody that has advanced Alzheimer's, and let's say they have a heart attack or something, um, when somebody needs CPR, their body is basically dead, and you're starting to revive them. So, for example, when you have somebody who's in the advanced stages of Alzheimer's and their body is shutting down anyway, um, you want to think about, is this really the most compassionate thing to do is to to bring them back? And depending upon their age, if somebody's like 85 or they're frail, the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to be breaking ribs by starting to do this. And that would be a painful thing if they're even able to survive that. So they're... It really is intricate and complicated, so it's not just like saying, okay, you know, talk to people, blah, 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 either get a health directive or not. Um, a health directive is really important, and you really need to trust the person that you want to give this authority to, and it doesn't have to be a child of yours. It doesn't have to be somebody that expects that you would choose them. It's somebody that you trust with your life and your finances, and those are actually two different things, too. POA, power of attorney for health power of attorney for finances. So this is a whole critical area, but Bob is going to blow past this now, and I'm sorry I took so much time with it, but I do want you to know there's a lot to that. So when you're 50 years old or above, 
Um, this is the prime time you should be putting something down on ink, if not before. Really, every adult could have a health care directive about what wishes would be. But I don't want to slow down the show for that. Bob, I'm going to send it back to you. I, I wanted to just be able to touch on that for a second. That's great, and a great way to transition to our next segment on long-term care coverage and how it works with Medicare. So there's some misnomers out there about, you know, long-term care and Medicare. So I um, would like to just give you a little background. How does Medicare work with long-term care? So give an example. Someone goes into a hospital, and the rule of th- ruling is if you're there three midnights or 72-hour assessment, and you're in a hospital setting, Debbie, and then they are admitted to a nursing home, and I repeat, admitted, not observed, but admitted to a nursing home, then Medicare traditionally covers the first 20 days. Now, some plans do Medicare, then your Medicare health plan that you have, some do cover up to 100 days. So that's almost, you know, three and a half months of coverage, which is wonderful. Um, you also want to check with your Medicare health plan to see the number of days it pays because some health plans have a copay per day. Um, so you'll want to look at that through your, your Medicare health plan. Great. See, I want to touch on this. I want to back up for a second. Normally when I hear the words, when you go into the hospital. So I'm 55. If I would go into the hospital, I would assume, for me, it's going to be because I've scheduled the surgery. A lot of times when this becomes critical for people to understand, they may have dealt with it way in the past or never. And the fact of the matter is, this can happen when somebody falls, or they have a stroke, or they have a heart attack, or something, there's another event where, boom, this just happened, mom or dad, or you or your spouse, you're in the hospital now, and all this comes at you. So I'm actually even going to have you back up all the way, Bob, and say, now, with that in mind, let's say this happens to you today, or tomorrow, you might look at this through different lenses because it might be it would be critical then to understand all of this today or tomorrow. So pretend like it is in your own mind, listeners, and now we'll look at it and say, okay, so your you or your loved one or your parents or parent are in the hospital now. So now what do we know about coverage and what do we need to know? So you've just been admitted to the hospital. That brings up a great great point. A couple different scenarios. One, let's say that you go into the hospital, and I'm going to use an example. My father is a farmer, and he had a hip surgery, right? So he goes in for his hip surgery, was in the hospital, but he needed to, to go for respite, for a, you know, into a, a kind of a, um, a, a care facility for a few days because they need to monitor the watch and also start physical therapy, right? So that is, yes, long-term care, but it's more part of the original surgery. Where we're looking at here, the differentiator number two is when you go into long-term care. So let's say that you're in a hospital setting and now it's you're going to be there beyond the 20 days um, and you're admitted. And so what I shared earlier is that if you are in that situation where you're going to be in there longer than the 20 days beyond the Medicare limits, this is when it's really critical to start um, discussing with family and are planning because after the you know the 21 through 100 as long as you were admitted originally your medicare plan will cover that to some amount but you'll some plans you'll have to pay and some of them cover 100 percent of that which is wonderful but here's the consequences after 90 days or 100 days you have three options you self-pay which means you start using your own assets 
you have long-term care coverage, or you go on a Medicaid or a spend down. And we're going to talk about each one of those items. Okay. Before we do that, I want to back up again these three days. How does somebody know, let's say it's for yourself, how do you know if you are at a hospital under observation or if this qualifies as being admitted? A good question. So obviously through the the, the doctors, right? Um, so you with a family or a loved one, you know, um, making sure that, you know, you're communicating with them. Am I going to be under observation or am I going to be admitted to a nursing home? They know usually w- w- in that period of time what's going to happen in 24 hours to 48 hours if you're going to be under observation, which means that you're just going to be released and you're good to go home or with a loved one, or if you're going to be admitted where they need to continue monitoring or physical therapy or um, continued care. So in the time, you know, the first 24 hours, 40 hours is crucial where usually there is an observation uh, outcome or an admittance outcome. So that's important for you if you are conscious or um, with a family member um, for you to know the difference between those words, yeah. observation or admitted. And I know one of them has the biggest payout for whoever's caring for you. And that one is when you're admitted? So is admi- that true? So admitted would allow you then to go into the care facility, i.e. a nursing home, assist, you know, a care facility, or a respite, um, a swing bed or something of that nature. So that would be covered by Medicare and your health plan. Observation would be saying, Debbie, you know, you're going to go home. Now you're in the care of your children or spouse or, you know, family or loved ones. And let's say you don't have somebody at home that can care for you. You know, then you have to look at what are your options. You know, then you would then in turn have to go into a nursing home, right? Because you have no one to care for you, which then would require you to do one of the three things: three things, self-pay. So mm-hmm. then you are paying for your own care, and if you that would mean if you didn't have long-term care, you're self-paying using your own assets, or you do qualify for a Medicaid, um, and there is requirements for Medicaid and okay. a spend down. I do want to tell people about. I know the assumption is when you feel like you're vibrant enough and you even have a scheduled surgery. So you go in, you schedule it, and then you say, okay, great, I'm going to go home and I'll do this on my own or my kids can help me with exercises. I do want to point out the importance, the vital importance of physical therapy after surgeries just because, you know, they'll say, okay, you need to do this so many times a day. When you're in, um, so for example, St. Crispin, when you're at St. Crispin after a surgery, they come to get you and you're doing the surgery you're doing the the follow up the physical therapy and they encourage you through the difficulty of it um cuz oftentimes it's not too comfortable or it might be even a little bit painful to do these things but every single day that I talk to people at St. Crispin they say they can see a marked difference that they're stronger and the thing is what I worry about is if people have surgery and they go right home thinking, yeah, I'll just do my exercises there, my kids can help me or whatever. If you don't do those things, your body can um, be severely impaired um, or you might have walk with a, a limp the rest of your life or whatever. So you really, that follow-up physical therapy is really, really critical for you. And I know that there's some magic number with the six weeks that they always give people for every single kind of surgery. They talk about six weeks for the body to heal and for you to keep on 
doing those exercises and special care in in attention to that surgery. So um, just want people to be aware of that just so you don't make those decisions like, yep, I'm automatically going to go home and this will be fine and I don't need the follow-up. Um, that we actually look at our vulnerabilities as human beings and say, this is a really good time to let other people care for you as you get stronger again. Yeah, that's a great point, Debbie. And here's a number I'd like to, to give you. It's um, in 2019, you know, in the event of we're talking about long-term care, which is, you know, self-pay, long-term care, Medicaid. So the spend down limit in 2019 is 126420 So an example of how that would work is let's say you have, a you know, assets of 200000 Um So you the hundred you'd have to spend down to one hundred twenty six four twenty, and then it's kind of split fifty fifty. So think of that in a, in a, in a situation where you're now having to pay on your own. That number one hundred twenty six four twenty um, is the the spend down limitation. So eligibility for medic uh, Medicaid or spend down is based on your assets, income, age, and state of residence. And if you're single, it's a, you know, income-wise, it's 1,012, married, 1,372. Obviously, you're going to be looking at transferring assets. There's a five-year look-back, or they call it a 60-month look-back period today. There's estate recovery issues to deal with. Um, again, if, if um, they're if you go on a Medicaid, you can only have like $3,000. Um, you can keep a home of any value. That's the great news. And you can keep a car of any value. So these are key items that would be that you'd have to go through in the event of a spend down and through a social worker and or if you're dealing with a legal representative would walk you through these items. What's this five-year look back? So in the event that if you started to transfer your assets, so let's say that... Um, uh, you were to take um, some of your your monies and st- or assets, a home, and transfer it to your children's name, and you go in to a nursing home. So let's say I transfer July first, and then in September I go to the nursing home. Well, they can claw back and use, you know, even though you gave it to your children, they can use that asset as a countable asset for spend down. So that means I'm mean, saying the home is probably because you can keep a home. You probably sure, would, say sure. your IRA or your four hundred one k or some investments. So somebody, if somebody has a bunch of assets and they say, you know what, I'm expecting in um, three years I'm going to go into a nursing home, so I'm going to, instead of doing the spend down, I'm just going to give away a bunch of my stuff right now. I'm going to give some big money item gifts to my kids because then my assets will be a lot lower and then the money that goes to Medicare will be a lot less. So what you're saying is if it happened, these big money items – if they've been given away within the last five years before you come into a nursing home, they're going to say, nope, you can't do that. The, the money, the assets that you had five years before you came into the nursing home, those are to be paid for the nursing home. So don't cash in on those kids because they actually did belong to the parent, so they're going to help to pay for the nursing care that the parent's getting. That's a good thing to know. Yes, it is, Debbie. And that's why it's so important to, to either talk to an advisor or to a, a legal representative about these issues because of that five-year look-back period. And they have, they have there's ways that you can, you know, do this um, as opposed to just doing it on your own. It's always good to seek advice and counsel for these items um, because there might be some things of, you know, um, trusts and other things that can be um, put into play that are 
the right. Every situation is different. But again, just seeking legal advice and counsel on that is so important. Sure. Uh, I do want to bring up um, real quickly here before we have to go, but eligibility for veterans, this is really important. And we, again, thank the veterans for their service and Absolutely. the 75th you know, anniversary. It's so important that we honor and um, um, take care of our veterans. Right. Um, for those of you that are veterans out there, um, there are some great benefits, and I hope you're, you know, able to take advantage of them because fully deserved. And the requirement for these uh, benefits, you have to have served during wartime. But in 2019, there's a pension rate um, for pension plus and attendance. The subject asset limitations of approximately 123,600. But in event of a spend down, uh, and or veterans are available for long term care of one thousand eight hundred eighty one dollars per month, or a total of twenty two thousand five seventy seven a year. If you're a married veteran, that's two thousand two hundred thirty per month, or twenty six thousand seven sixty five per year. And then, of course, a surviving spouse of a veteran is $1,211 per month or $14,529 per year. And a veteran married to a veteran is $2,984 per month or $35,813. Again, you will want to check with the um, local, your veteran VA office to see if any of these benefits, you qualify for any of these. But this is the 2019 uh uh, benefits that are available. We have about a minute left, Debbie. Excellent. If you want to wrap her up. You bet. And I do know when we talked about this before the shows that we were going to record, Bob told me, you know what? It's so sad because there's a number of veterans who don't cash in on these benefits. And the fact is, you earn them by your service during wartime. So it's sitting there, it's waiting for you, it's yours. You should use this money that you have earned and they're just holding it for you so um don't think it's weak to to cash in on these benefits or to say well i'm a veteran do i have any benefits here and you know to to get that clarified once again because they've been holding it for you all along so make sure to use this benefit that's that you already earned it's it's very important and it's wonderful to hear you know whether you're single whether you're married or whether you're the survivor of a spouse that has served, you know, you sometimes don't think of that. So um, when somebody is a veteran, your whole family is a veteran. Um, everybody has served together or given the sacrifice. So um, the, the individual themselves and their spouse, um, you both qualify. So make sure to ask about those things and to be aware of that. Bob, so much to learn and process and everything, but we're so grateful that you're here today. And we're going to, of course, have another show coming up. But we want to thank you for coming to Senior Smarts here to talk about these issues. And with that, Senior Smarts, uh, St. Crispin Living Community is changing aging in Red Wing. All right, that is Senior Smarts for today. It's brought to us by St. Crispin Living Community. Now with our full continuum of care at our Pioneer Road campus, where we're still providing our renowned short-term rehab services Back next week with another edition of Senior Smarts.